All right, Melissa, would you pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you for this gracious day that you had awakened us to, Father God. Father God, I ask that this day will be in your honor, that we will hear your words through your, your vessel, Father God, and that nothing would distract us from your truth, Father God. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercies and your provisions and just for being in our presence at all times. May we feel you. May we acknowledge you. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.
circumstances we may be facing, God, if we would just look up, Father, that we can have that hope that is in Christ, God, that we can have the assurance that you are for us and not against us, and that you know the plans that you have for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. So may we be attempted this morning, God, as hear your word lead us Holy Spirit that we may obey Father we take comfort in your word Father I pray that we would hide it in our hearts I pray that our heart would be of good soil to receive it and that it would take root and produce lasting fruit so ultimately God that our lives would bring glory and honor to your name Father so Lord have your way among us this morning we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. morning. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 is the verse that I'm encouraging you all to not only memorize but to live out this year. It's our yearly verse. The justice of God cannot be mocked. You will harvest what you plant. And some translations say you will reap what you sow. And I've been encouraging us to give thought to that as you're going about your day-to-day. 
What you're putting your hands towards. What you're allowing out of your mouth. What you're giving thought to. It's going to end up producing something in your life. And we want to be mindful of that. See, one thing I keep holding up before us and what we find in Scripture is the flesh only knows how to do one thing and that is to die. And it seeks that which will destroy it. There's nothing good that can come from sin. The first Adam. We inherited his nature. All of us were born into sin. But praise be to God, the second Adam came. Jesus. The Bible calls him the second Adam. And those who are found in Christ now have a new nature. We are born again of the Spirit of God. And so with that understanding, we are now empowered with God's Holy Spirit, God himself in us, to live the life that he has given us to live. Not that we can do it in and of ourselves. That's why it's a spirit-led life. The Bible says that if you walk habitually in the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What you plant, you will harvest. The world likes to call it karma. It's going to come back around and get you. (laughs) And what I've always encouraged you is that these other religions out there, and they all have a bit of truth in them, because a lot of them, or the majority of them, have Scripture. They don't uphold it as Scripture. There's a twist on it. But as Christians, when our eyes have been opened, when Scripture, when the revelation of truth comes to us, we are to act upon it. So what you plant to, you will reap. You will harvest. So give thought to that each and every single day. Again, before you allow the words out of your mouth, if they're not words that edify and build up, but they're words that tear down and destroy, that is what you're going to reap back upon you. Because the justice of God cannot be mocked. You're giving thoughts, you're thinking things that are ungodly, unhealthy, thoughts that can only serve self, That's what you're going to reap back upon you. Because remember what the Bible says. How does he transform us? By changing the way we think. That's why the Bible tells us to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Every thought, not just some thoughts, but every thought that is contrary to his truth. That's why it's vital that you're a part of Christian fellowship. That's why it's vital that you're growing in the Word of God. Because how can you take it captive if you're unsure if it's right or wrong. It's vital that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to do what He's come to do. To teach you. To counsel you. To comfort you. That's why Jesus says, I have to go away so that He will come. So it's vital. What you put your hands to. What you do throughout your day. You're to work as unto the Lord. You're to serve as unto the Lord, but if you're serving for self-interest, if you're serving to get the praises of man, if you're serving just to build your own kingdom, well, that is what you will get back. 
That's why I'm really hoping that this year it will be a year of growth for all of us. That we will grow up. That we will mature. No matter where we're at in our walk with God. That we would desire that at the end of 2020 we can look back and say I'm not the same. We're not the same. And that we hold each other accountable. We love each other. Because that's what Christ does for us. He knows our condition. And yet he came. He came to set the captives free. Remember the Bible says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world because the world already stands condemned. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. To have faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He rose from the dead. See, that's our message. Our message is not that He is still on the cross. And I've been saying that a lot lately. A lot of people are sitting in churches, and that's where Jesus is to them. He's still on the cross. Oh, but if that's our message, that He is just on the cross, or that He went to the cross, we have no hope. There's no hope with Him still hanging on the cross. And if he's not on the cross, unfortunately, a lot of them think he's still in the tomb. And he said, well, they really can't believe he's still in the tomb. Well, just look how they live. They really can't believe that he's still on the cross. Well, just look how they live. Because if he's still on the cross and he's still in the tomb, there's no power to transform. Sin and death are still victorious. But because God rose from the dead, Jesus rose from the dead... The Bible says that sin and death are now defeated. So what's our excuse to allow them to still rule and reign in our lives? Remember, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's the enemy that comes to twist the word of God. And he's done it from the beginning. Remember what he did to Eve? Did God really say? And he does the same thing to us. Does God really say this? Does the Word of God really say this? Does God really expect this? And then he twists it. But that's why we must know the Word. So that we can stand. And stand therefore then with the assurance of who our God is. That no matter what our circumstances are, God is still on the throne. And I keep encouraging us as we're going through the book of Psalms is that instead of looking out at our circumstances, look up. Mm. Look up. Come on. Because these circumstances may never change. And they could get worse. In fact, we are told that it is going to get worse out there. Jesus himself says, but be of good cheer. <laughs> because I already overcame the world. It's done. It's finished. He's out of the tomb. <laughs> he rose again. He is victorious and he is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. And no power can strip him of that. See, this is is our God. This is whom, if you're saying you are a believer, that you have given your life to. You willingly have laid it down. Not my will, but your will be done. I don't want to live like the second Adam. I mean, the first Adam. I don't want to continue in that nature of sin that is just self-serving and self-seeking and destructive. Not when 
God gave himself to experience the freedom that we can have on this side of heaven until we get to heaven. And we can walk in freedom. Freedom, you all. Freedom. That we will not mock the justice of God, that we will sow seeds of righteousness, that we will do that which is honorable. See, the interesting thing is when you read the New Testament, especially the letters to the churches, remember they're written to the churches in those times. And I've always encouraged you, if you want a good study, read Acts through Jude. (laughs) These are the letters to the churches. This is the Christian life. And there's a constant theme all through it. Grow up. (laughs) Remember. Remember whom you belong to. Stop acting like the old man and live the new life. Reckon yourself dead to sin but alive in Christ. And we already know that in Galatians it tells us that the flesh and the spirit they are going to war against each other. But remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And when temptation comes to calling, when the old man or the old woman wants to rise up, you remember that you've crucified yourself to his cross and that your interest in this world is no longer and the world's interest in you is no more. And that he makes a way out of every temptation. The Bible says, after you've done all you know to do, then just stand. And stand there for them. Like, do you have confidence, not in yourself, but in your God? Because He's God. And there's no error found in Him. And I've been encouraging you as we're walking through the Bible that mankind loves to take their fist and throw it up to God. Mankind likes to blame God and put all this fault on God but there's no error that can be found in him that's just the lie of the enemy that's just the old man who is in rebellion towards God remember that nature which you were born into is in complete rebellion towards God it will never wake up one morning and go "Ah, today I think I'll follow Jesus no everything within you wants to draw you away from him That's why God stepped out and came to earth to draw us to him. His love for us, you all. And that's why I keep encouraging you all. Why would you trade such great love to endure his wrath? It doesn't make sense. But yet, as time is approaching to his return to gather those who belong to him, There's going to be such a great falling away. The level of of the occult, the level of perversion, the level of everything is going to rise up rapidly to deceive so many people, to pull people away from God. I mean, just think in yourself the attitude that you have had towards God at times. Think of those that are in your life that you hear them speak of God or mock God, and they have no fear of God. Lord, God help us. 
I think of how I used to live and I go, oh God, thank you that you are slow to anger and that your love is enduring. That you are full of compassion and mercy. That you extended your grace to me. Salvation. Because to us, what we would do in our own selves to those who rebel against us or push against us, we push back. We lash out. But God came and stooped down to serve. I've come to save. Like I've made a way. Now trust me, he says. Follow me. Receive this free gift. Recognize that you're a sinner. And just receive my love. Like God, remember, God is not stiff-arming man. Man is stiff-arming God. And I keep encouraging you, don't learn theology, your theology, the knowledge of God, from the devil. The devil loves to preach. The devil loves to teach. He loves to twist the words of God to get people complacent and comfortable. He loves to lull people asleep. He loves to twist the words. That's why you have to know the truth. And the Bible says it's the truth that sets you free. And again, as you're studying the Word, as you understand the times leading up to the return of Christ, deception is going to be at the greatest level ever on this earth. That's why you must be firmly rooted, you all. Go to Exodus. I mean, not Exodus. Numbers 16, verse 41. And as you're going there, let me remind you what happened last week. (laughs) Remind you what happened last week. There was a rebellion in the camp. (laughs) And we're walking through the Bible. So we're going to hit Numbers. (laughs) Then we're going to go to the finish the book of Mark. And then we're going to read a psalm. And then we have one little proverb, one little verse in Proverbs. And the reason why we're walking through the Bible is that my hope is that we get to know our God. And like I've always said to you, Sunday, I'm glad you come Sundays. (laughs) But if this is the only time that you're being fed or this is the only time that you're opening up the Word, I'm telling you, it's not going to sustain you. You have got to be in the Word. You have got to study the word for yourself. You've got to, if you're able to, get here Wednesday nights because we talk, we go deeper with scripture that we've read. Get here on Friday nights. If you can't get here physically, then get here on Skype. And if you can't get here, but you can get with others throughout the week to encourage, to open up the word, then do that because it is vital. It is vital. But we, get, we need to know our God. We need, to, we need to rejoice in the fact that He is God. We need to learn to worship Him, to honor Him, to live a life that is pleasing unto Christ. Not a perfect life. No one's teaching Christian perfectionism. No one's expecting anyone to be perfect. But we are expecting you to grow up. <laughs> we are expecting us to mature. We are expecting that, that we're not just going to allow sin to abound. No, we want to uphold each other, to encourage each other, 
to lift up each other as we all seek Christ. As we all are persevering and being formed more and more into His character. And hope is getting more and more, it's, it's, in, it's enlarging within us. So that we're not disappointed as we go through our days. All but the people of Israel. Remember, God, here's God's plan. That He will have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. From Genesis to Revelation, that is God's plan, you all. We don't need to make it hard. It's as simple as that. That God will have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God, that they would live for Him. And why is the Old Testament important? Because it points to Jesus. Everything that you're reading in the Old Testament points to Jesus. In Genesis, when God said to the serpent, there's going to come one that's going to crush your head, boom, Jesus was announced. But Jesus was already thought of, the cross was already thought of back here, even before the earth was formed. The cross wasn't a second thought to God, like, oops, look, they messed up, now what do we do? No, no, no. The purpose of the cross was established before the earth was formed. Because God is love. God is love. God is love, you all. And so he pulls these people aside, the Israelites. And he has them in the wilderness. By their own choosing, not by his. He's teaching them how to worship him. He's teaching them that he is a holy God. And that they are to fear Him, they are to respect Him, they are to love Him. They are to be different, they are to be holy, set apart. There were all these other, all these other nations in, on the earth. He chose the, Israels, the Israelites. He pulled them out, and now they are to represent Him. Remember what I said, and you'll see as we read the Old Testament, is that these other nations looked at Israel... And they weren't afraid of Israel, but they were afraid of Israel's God. They never came to serving, but they knew. So God was pulling them out. The other nations were looking at them. They're wandering around. Remember, God, they, they built the tabernacle. The tabernacle is moving as God is leading. When God says stop, they stop. The tab- they, they erect the tabernacle. They have a place of worship. They do the sin offerings. They do all of that. He established the priests. He set up all these tribes and leaders. And then last week, a few of those men, they wanted to be priests. They had an issue with leadership. Who do you think you are? Moses and Aaron. And remember, they started gossiping, stirring up division among the camp. And remember what God said. I'm going to wipe them all out. And then we see again, what does Moses, what's Moses and Aaron's response? They fall on their face. They begin to intercede. They begin to pray. 
They begin to remind God. No, God, remember your covenant. Remember, he's a covenant. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promise. What he has spoken, it will come to pass. Rather, you believe it or not. God will bring about what God has purposed and established. What he has spoken, it will come to pass. And Moses and them were on their face. And God says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So these men who refuse to repent, to see their errors and their ways, God told Moses, tell those people to get away from them. (laughs) I won't kill all of them, (laughs) but I'm going to take care of those few. And then Moses tells the people, listen, if these men die of natural causes, <laughs> or, you know, God does something that, that we're already done, then I'm not the one that God chose. But if the ground opens up and swallows them, then I'm the one that God has chosen. And the ground opens and swallows those men, their wives, their children. Everyone else that was there with them. And they went down alive and the ground closed up. <laughs> and then fire came and burned out the, burned the other ones up. Thousands. Dead. In a moment. Not because of perversion. Because we like to point out the big sins. They were just gossiping. They were just backbiting. They were causing division and strife. And they were saying things about the leaders that should not have been said. They were self-seeking individuals. And they were ruining the camp. God cannot tolerate sin. He will not tolerate sin. See, Romans 6 says, sin, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness, right standing with God. Not because of anything that you have done, but what Christ has done and can do in and through you. See, even in the Old Testament, we see how destructive sin is. And we see the wrath of God upon it. And I keep encouraging us. That where you see the wrath of God, you see his love. Where you see the love of God, you see his wrath. He's both. And we cannot believe the lie that has been introduced to the church over the ages. Is that somehow because Jesus came, God is no longer a God of wrath. That's what a lot of people believe. And so they just keep living however they want, claiming his name and yet living in complete rebellion towards him because they believe the lie of the enemy. And you say, well, if you're one sitting here today and you believe that, then I want to challenge you. If that is true, then rip out the book of Revelation from your Bible. Rip it out. Because there would be no need for it if that's what you believe. 
In fact, go ahead and rip out Acts, all the letters, and even Jude out of your Bible. Because why hold the church accountable to anything, Paul? Because it's all about love, 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 love. And it is all about love because God is love. And there's no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend, and God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to save us from his wrath. You ever read the letters to the churches in Revelation? Do you realize there's the wrath of God is the Bible says is stored up, but there's a day that no one knows the day or hour that he is going to unleash it as he gathers those that belong to him. Remember, he's going to have a people that he will call his own and in return, they will call him their God. He's going to gather them up and then all hell is going to hit the earth. And the people, the Bible says in Revelation, that they will hide themselves in the the earth and they will raise their hands and fist towards God and say, you're not God. Then who are they hiding from? The wrath of God is coming. That's why we have been commissioned as Christians to go into the world. To tell the good news. There's a way out. God's love. God's love. He's made a way. These men back here that we just read about are going to read, step into today and read. I wanted to remind us what happened last week. Because this whole community just witnessed God again. And listen, this isn't the first time. Because after God delivered them out of Egypt, their bondage, their slavery, their oppression, such a hard life. Remember, they started grumbling and complaining. What did you do? Lead us out here, Moses, just to die? We had it better in Egypt. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. When we read that scripture, do you realize what they just attached to their old life the promise of the new life Egypt wasn't a land that was flowing with milk and honey that was the promised land in which God was taking them and yet they kept looking back and listen I keep telling us don't be shocked when you see Christians fall because where else are we going to go to where else are you going to go back That's all you have to go back to, your old way of life, your old way of thinking, your old way of talking, your old way of of anything that consumes you. But you are a new creation. You don't go back. If you fall, if you sin, get up. Repent and move forward. Keep moving forward. That's the progression of the Christian life. You just keep moving forward. You keep moving forward until the day you stand before Him. And He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Or, if you're not progressing forward, He will say, depart from me. I don't know you. Oh, but didn't I go to church? Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do that in your name? And he says, I don't know you. You worker of sin. (laughs) 
And then people will say, but how can a loving God do that? And I keep saying to y'all, how can a loving God not do it? Because if he didn't do it, then he's not God. And as we read last week, when all these men, babies, and children, and wives die, there's people who will read that and challenge you and say, how can you serve a God like that? He's a bad God. And I encourage you as I have conversations with people, how can I not? Because he's a God of his word. And why are you focusing so much on God? Where was God's error in this? Where did he do wrong? It was the people that chose to rise up against a holy God. And he's a just God. There's no error found in God. You may want to keep pointing out the errors that you think you see in God. But like I said last week, the error isn't found in God, it's found in man. These people have seen God. God is dwelling with them. They have seen, I should say, they have seen him move on their behalf in miraculous ways. And yet, they're not satisfied. The question this morning is, are you satisfied? Because if you're not satisfied in Christ, you're going to keep looking back. You're going to keep going back. You're going to keep reaching back. They weren't content. They weren't satisfied. And because of that, remember, when he had them sent in the spies into the promised land, only two came back with the right report. The other ten began to worry and complain. And oh goodness, they're too big for us. And because of that, because the people believe the wrong report about God, he tells them, this generation will not enter in. In fact, you're going to die in the wilderness. It'll be the generation that's coming up that will enter in. It'll be Joshua and Caleb who will lead them in. The rest of you, you're going to die. And they remember when they heard that report, they said, we'll go in and we'll take the land ourselves. And so now they're going to dismiss God and move forward without God. And the people of the land push back on them. And now they're stuck in the wilderness. And instead of seeking their God, they begin to listen to people who just give a negative report. Oh, I'm telling you today, who is speaking in your ear? (laughs) Especially when things aren't going right in your life. That's not the time to allow people of the world to counsel you. (laughs) Because they've got nothing good to say. They will influence you to hold your fist up. To go your way, to do it in your strength, to neglect prayer, to neglect Bible study, to neglect worship, to neglect fellowship, and you're just doing it in your own strength, stamping yourself with Jesus' name. (laughs) And for what? And for what? God has so much more for us, you all. And so you think they would have learned But verse 41, 
of chapter 16. But the very next morning, the next morning after this happened, the whole community, not just some, the whole community of Israel began muttering again against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the Lord's people. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. Did y'all hear that? They're murmuring. They're complaining. They're rising up. And now they're blaming Moses and Aaron. And God says to Moses and Aaron, get away from them. I'm going to destroy them. Remember? Every time you read through scripture, wherever you see wrath, look for love. Wherever you see love, look for wrath. They go hand in hand. He is who he is. He's God, you all. Rather, you like that or not. So now we hear the pronouncement of what? Wrath. I'm going to destroy them. Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the, tab- the tabernacle, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from the people so that I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Listen, don't miss the beauty. See, so many times people just get so focused on the wrath that they miss the beauty of his love. Moses and Aaron, look at and listen. In the flesh, they would have a right to say, Take them all out, Lord. We've had enough. These people are too much. Kill them. This beautiful picture. They fall face down. And that's a picture of intercession. That's praying. And Moses said to Aaron, Quick! Take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it about, about, I'm sorry, carry it out among the people to purify them, look at this, and make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already began. People were dropping dead. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, just dropping dead, you all. Get this picture. They're face down on the ground interceding. And Moses says, quick, quick, get up, Aaron. Take the incense. Take the burner and begin to run through the people. (laughs) The Lord's anger is already out. He's already released it. Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. 
The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died in that plague. In addition to those who had already died... (laughs) Then because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tabernacle. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. It's the foreshadowing of the Messiah, the one who is going to come and who has came. (laughs) Jesus, you all. He purifies people. He saves and redeems people so that they will not experience the wrath of God. Such a beautiful picture. How do you treat those who do you wrong, you all? As Christians, we are to pray. We are to intercede on their behalf. to ask God to grant them mercy that God would deliver them instead of just talking about them instead of just trying to retaliate against them no we are to be the the, the example of Christ because what did he do he laid his life down for those who were in complete rebellion towards him Oh, it's a beautiful picture, you all. Don't miss it. Short little verses, but don't miss the beauty in it. We go on now, chapter 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring you twelve wooden staffs, one for each leader of Israel, ancestral tribes, and inscribe each leader's name on his staff. Inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of the tribe of Levi, for there must be one staff for the leader of each ancestral tribe. Place these staffs in the tabernacle in front of the ark containing the uh, the tablets of the covenant. When I meet with you, buds will sprout on the staff belonging to the man I chose. Then I will finally put it in to the people's murmuring and complaining against you. So Moses gave the instructions to the people of Israel. And each of the twelve tribal leaders, including Aaron, brought Moses a staff. Moses placed the staffs in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle of the covenant. When he went into the tabernacle on the, of the covenant the next day, he found that Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted, budded, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds. When Moses brought all the staffs out from the Lord's presence, he showed them to the people. Each man claimed his own staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Place Aaron's staff permanently before the Ark of the Covenant to serve as a warning to rebels. This should put an end to their complaint against me and prevent any further deaths. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Then the people of Israel said to Moses, Look, we are doomed. We are dead. We are ruined. Everyone who even comes close to the tabernacle of the Lord dies. Are we all doomed to die? 
listen, we've seen this before. Where God sets up these reminders of who he is and how they're to live. And yet again, we see it again. Now stop this bickering among you all. These Levites were called, there's, there's, there's these priests, Aaron and his sons, they will do the duties, but the others, they were there just to support them. But these people didn't want to support, they wanted to be priests. <laughs> and God says, okay, so this won't happen again, this is what you need to do, and put it as a reminder. Remember who God is. And instead, instead of seeing the, uh, the beauty of it, they just look back at themselves. And aren't we just as guilty? Instead of seeing the beauty of God's will for our lives, of God's discipline in our lives, so many times we spend too long looking at ourselves. Poor me, poor wretched me. Oh, God hates me. I can't even go close to God. And we make it all about us. And that's what I said. Whenever you see that happening in your life, you need to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That is wrong thinking. God is gracious and God is kind. And his love endures forever. His will is that none shall perish. He desires me to come to him. Why am I running from him? Why do I have a wrong image of him? They have, the, they have the wrong image of God. God keeps displaying his love. And yet they still keep making it about themselves. We must be careful of that, you all. We must be careful of that. If you're focusing too much on your sin, or on your errors, or on your circumstances, and you're allowing all that to become greater than your God, you're wrong, not God. That's why I love when the Bible says that he gives us the weapons of our warfare to demolish those strongholds. The Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold because you give the devil a foothold, he's going to develop a stronghold. And I keep telling you what a stronghold is. It's the area of my, of my in your mind, of thought that you're constantly thinking that is contrary to God's truth. That's how the enemy comes in to deceive. He gets you thinking a lie. But praise be to God when you go, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why am I thinking? Why am I here? Why am I, why am I acting this way? This is not how I'm supposed to be. And you just don't go beat yourself up. You go, no, 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 no. God, forgive me. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. And you get up and you move forward. <laughs> Even if you took 100 steps backwards, you get up. And you move forward because that's how gracious and kind and loving your God is. If you're in Christ, this is the hope that we have, you all. Duties of priests and the Levites, chapter 18. Listen as we read through this how God provides for those that he has called out. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You, your sons, and your relatives from the tribe of Levi will, held, will be held responsible for any offenses related to the sanctuary. But you and your sons alone will be held responsible for violations connected with the priesthood. Bring your relatives of the tribe of Levi. 
your ancestral tribe to assist you and your sons as you perform the sacred duties in front of the tabernacle of the covenant. But as the Levites go about all their assigned duties in the tabernacle, they must be careful not to go near any of the sacred objects on the altar. If they do, both you and they will die. The Levites must join you in fulfilling their responsibilities for the care and maintenance of the tabernacle, but no unauthorized person may assist you. You yourselves must perform the sacred duties inside the sanctuary and at the altar. If you follow these instructions, the Lord's anger will never again blaze against the people of Israel. I myself have chosen your fellow Levites from among the Israelites to be your special assistants. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord for the service and the tabernacle. But you and your sons, the priests, must personally handle all the priestly rituals associated with the altar and with everything behind the inner curtain. I'm giving you the priesthood as your special privilege of service. Any unauthorized person who comes too near to the sanctuary will be put to death. The Lord gave these further instructions to Aaron. I myself have put you in charge of all the holy offerings that are brought to me by the people of Israel. I have given all these consecrated offerings to you and your sons as your permanent share. You are allotted the portion of the most holy offerings that is not burned on the fire. This portion of all the most holy offerings, including the grain offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings, will be most holy, and it belongs to you and your sons. You must eat it as a most holy offering. All the males may eat of it, and you must treat it as most holy. All the sacred offerings and special offerings presented to me when the Israelites lift them up before the altar also belong to you. I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters as your permanent share. Any member of your family who is ceremonially clean may eat of these offerings. I also give you the harvest gift brought by the people as offerings to the Lord, the best of the olive oil, new wine, and grain. All the first crops of their land that the people present to the Lord belong to you. Any member of your family who is ceremonially clean may eat this food. Everything in Israel that is specially set apart for the Lord also belongs to you. The first member of every month, I'm sorry, the first a firstborn of every mother, whether human or animal, that is offered to the Lord will be yours. But you must always redeem your firstborn sons and the firstborn of ceremonially unclean animals. Redeem them when they are one month old. The redemption price is five pieces of silver, as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel, which equals 20 geras. However, you must not redeem the firstborn of cattle, sheep, or goats. They are holy and have been set apart for the Lord. Sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The meat of these animals will be yours, just like the breast and the right thigh that are presented by lifting them up as a special offering before the altar. Yes, I am giving you all these holy offerings that the people of Israel bring to the Lord. They are for you and your sons and daughters to be eaten as your permanent share. This is an eternal and unbreakable covenant between the Lord and you, and it also applies to your descendants. And the Lord said to Aaron, You priests must receive no allotment of land or share of property among the people of Israel. I am, I'm sorry, I am your share and your allotment. 
As for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. From now on, no Israelite except priests or Levites may approach the tabernacle. If they come too near, they will be judged guilty and will die. Only the <coughs> Levites may serve at the tabernacle, and they will be held responsible for any offenses against it. This is a permanent law for you to be observed from generation to generation. The Levites will receive no allotment of land among the Israelites because I have given them the Israelites' tithes, which have been presented as a sacred offering to the Lord. This will be the Levites' share. That is why I said they would receive no allotment of land among the Israelites. The Lord said, also told Moses, give these instructions to the Levites. When you receive from the people of Israel the tithes I have assigned as your allotment, give a tenth of the tithes you receive, a tithe of a tithe to the Lord as a sacred offering. The Lord will consider this offering to be your harvest offering, as though it were the first grain from your own threshing floor or wine from your own wine press. You must present one-tenth of the tithe received from the Israelites as a sacred offering to the Lord. This is the Lord's sacred portion, and you must present it to Aaron, the priest. Be sure to give to the Lord the best portions of the gifts given to you. Also, give these instructions to the Levites. When you present the best part of your offering, it will be considered as though it came from your own threshing floor and wine press. You Levites and your families may eat this food anywhere you wish, for it is your compensation for serving in the tabernacle. You will not be considered guilty for accepting the Lord's tithes if you give the best portion to the priests, but be careful not to treat the holy gifts of people of Israel as though they were common. If you do, you will die. And I keep encouraging you. I know we do a lot of reading sometimes. We go, oh, why do we need to know all this? Because there's something beautiful within this. God is providing for those that he has called out into his service. God provides for his people, you all. The other tribes have land. They have significant source. They also have God. <laughs> but they have land that they're toiling on. They're working, they're doing, but there's a people that God has set apart to be in direct service for him and the tabernacle. And then within that, the priest. And he's saying to the priest and to the other Levites, I'm your source. God, don't miss that. Because have you read the New Testament? We are his priests now. The Bible calls us a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We have been set apart. Not just pastors, not just evangelists, but Christians. God's people, the church, the bride of Christ. He's our source. He's our source. And I love this word, and I said it earlier, and we are to be satisfied with that. Because we're satisfied with him. That's why we can look at everything that the world wants to offer and go, that's just temporal. Yeah, it may give me something in this moment. But why would I trade that and who is eternal for this? Why would I trade something of, of such value for something that is here today and gone tomorrow? See, the old Adam, that old nature... 
loves the temporalness of life. Because every time the fruit is presented, we take a bite. We see it better than God. We see him, we see her better than God. We begin to worship the creative instead of worshiping the creator. And that's why in Romans 1, he says, I will turn them over. And that's, a, that's, that's his wrath. That's, part, that's a picture of his wrath. Not just the, the fire and the brimstone, but when God turns people over to their desires. When God turns people over and says, you want that? That's greater than me? There you go. And it consumes them. And it draws them further away from God. Oh, may you leave this place today established in your heart that God is enough. That God is enough. Because there has to be some things and some people and and objects that you just got to get out of your life. Because God is enough. God is enough. And that's what he was showing these people. You belong to me. I am your source. I am your strength. I am your shield. I am your comforter. I'm your provider. I'm your healer. I'm your way maker. I'm the banner that goes before you. (laughs) Because I am. I am. (laughs) Oh, that we would know him. Go to Mark chapter 16. We're finishing the book of Mark. Next week we start the book of Luke. Mark 16. Oh, this is great news today. Listen, last week I said, you know, people will say, Oh, how could God kill all those people? And I said, why are you so focused on looking at God and judging God? Because I see that you're focusing on these people. But let me take you to Mark chapter 15. Where God himself comes. And dies. Jesus experiences what we would never understand, you all, if we're in Christ. He experienced, He took your punishment. That's how much God loves. That's why I would no longer hold my fist like I used to towards God. He's holy. And there's no error found in him. The error is found in men. (laughs) God came. Jesus came. Last week, he was buried in the tomb. And the people who did this, the people people who, who, who drugged Jesus to Pilate to be condemned, thought they were doing it to protect themselves and their position. They were the religious men of the day. They were the one leading God's people, and yet they were killing God. But yet they thought they were in charge. They weren't. It was all God's plan from the beginning. 
It was all God's plan. God knew all of this was taking place. Remember, Jesus began to tell his disciples, I'm going to die. But on the third day, he kept pointing to the cross. He kept pointing to the resurrection. When all of this happens, you will understand. Remember, I keep telling you, he had thousands of disciples following him. A a, a crowd of people. But when he begins to shift his teaching from just doing for them, like for a while he was performing miracles, he was feeding them, he was healing them. And they were so captivated by him. But when he begins to shift his teaching to point to really who he is, I'm the bread of life. You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And he begins to lay out the spiritual understanding. What does the Bible said? The thousands did. (laughs) They looked at each other and said, this is too hard to understand. What is he saying? And what did they do? They went back to the old way of living. Don't be those people who show up in church, move for a season... And then as soon as the call of the disciples laid upon them, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. The God, this is too hard. Ah, what do you expect of me? I can't do this. And they go right back. But remember, Jesus looked at the twelve and he said, Are you leaving too? Remember, Peter said, Where can we go? And they all chimed in. Where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. What's here to go back to? But flip a couple pages. Peter's like, no way, Jesus. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you to the end. This isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because it's going to happen. Because it's established. It's purpose for me to go to the cross. Because I'm here to redeem the created. They belong to me. And then he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. And I told you when we read that scripture, remember that. Remember what happened. And remember Peter, when he heard the rooster crow, he was like, he remembered Jesus' words. I can't even imagine the heartbreak and like, oh God, oh Jesus. And I kept telling you, oh, but don't, Peter's not going to be left there. And such such good news for all of us. Because when we've denied him, and we've done our own, and we've gone our own way, after being like, oh, I'm all for Jesus. And then we click on something we shouldn't click on, and we go to it. (laughs) Or we start doing the things we ought not to be doing and we just denying him left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Oh, his love endures forever. He's not going to leave us there. See, he's a God that redeems. He's a God that saves. He's a God that comes after the lost sheep, the one that wandered off. He'll leave the 99 to go after you. He's the one that looks off in the distance and sees the prodigal returning home and he runs towards him and embraces him and restores him. You see, that's the God in whom we serve. This is the good news that we have. He doesn't skip on us and go, oh, 
Now you want me? No, no, no. If you have a sincere heart, he says, come, come. I see that you're broken. I see that you're hurting. But I can restore you because I forgive you. Oh, it's beautiful. Peter's going to be restored, you all. We left him in the tomb last week. That's where we left off. But today, chapter 16. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased the burial, I'm sorry, purchased the burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, I want you, if you're, if you're writing, if you're highlighting, if you have your phone, highlight this. They looked up. Mm. Remember what I keep telling y'all? Don't look out. Don't look at your circumstances. Look up. What were they doing on their way to the tomb? Who's going to move the rock for us? Who's going to make a way for us? They looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Oh, God's got us, you all. God's got us. I don't know what stone may be in your way. I don't know what you're questioning or what you're doubting. But I'm telling you now, know your God, because he's got us. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he is in here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The significance of the angel Telling the ladies, go tell his disciples. He could have left it there. But he called out Peter. He called out Peter. The woman fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Then they briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions. Afterwards, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, early on Saturday morning, or Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. 
Still later, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord, look at this, worked through them. Who does the work? The Lord. Confirming what they said by many miraculous signs, you all. Ah, praise God. This is God. This is God. He's made a way. He's no longer on the cross. He's no longer in the tomb. He is risen indeed. And now we await for his return. But until then, we're to be about our Father's business. If you're sitting here today and you're a believer, that is your purpose. Because remember what the Bible tells us. He's prepared good works for you to do. Even before you entered your mother's womb, he had already thought of you. He knew what he would plan for you to do in the generation that you live. You have a purpose. The good works isn't to work for yourself. It's to work for him. You are to be about your father's business. You are to advance his kingdom. You are to announce the good news to people. But there will be resistance. There will be resistance to the good news. And I keep telling you, and this month we're collecting for the persecuted church, the level of the persecution that's happening to Christians on the face of the earth is at the highest level it's ever been. And it will continue to skyrocket. Darkness will continue to get darker and darker. But I keep encouraging you, don't be afraid. Because it's then that the church should be burning the brightest. You have a purpose. You're meant for this generation. Not for your own self. Not to do things in your own strength. But to depend upon Jesus. To accomplish what he has already started. He calls us into his service, you all. When you give your life to Christ, you're not removed into glory. No. He sends you out now. Go bear my image. Go be the light. Share the good news. Even if they reject you. Because they're really not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And look how truth is being twisted nowadays. Look at what's happening in the churches. The message is being watered down. People are becoming complacent. Truth isn't ruling and reigning. Everybody wants what they want and how they want. They just want to slap Jesus to their forehead. 
Stamp me with Jesus' name. Is he in your heart, though? Has Jesus taken the throne of your heart? That's the question. Has the risen Savior announced you as one of his own? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And if you have received the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, do not grieve him. You remember you can grieve the Holy Spirit, and why would you want to live a life that grieves God? <coughs> Come on, you all. There is a way in which we are to live. And I'm not just going to coddle you and pat you on your back and just say, oh, poor you, poor you. No, I'm going to kick you in your butt until you get up. And I hope you would do the same for me. Like, get up and keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Because there's everything else out there is trying to attach itself to you to draw your attention away from your growth. People do not celebrate you getting better. Especially if you claim Christ. They'll be quick to remind you of your past or quick to remind you how you just acted. But remember, greater is he that is in you. And when they're quick to remind you, and, and they're quick to well, look how you did that, that be a, let that be of service, not to condemn you, but to convict you. Like, oh God, I see God that you're showing me that's the area I need to grow in. <laughs> okay, Holy Spirit, teach me. Help me to guard my tongue. To tame my tongue. I can't enter myself, but God, you can. Help me to take thoughts captive. Help me not just to overreact, just to react. Help me to learn to be still. Like he disciplines those that he loves. This is a life, you all. This is how you live. This is who you are. He's risen. And he's risen indeed. And you have to know your God. Go to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. And I, and I keep encouraging you when we're in the book of Psalms, these psalmists knew their God. They faced crazy things, so much opposition. They had so much stuff coming against them. They're psalms of joy, but the majority of them, these are depressed men. Even King David. He finds himself at times depressed. He finds himself at times anxious. He finds himself overwhelmed. Have you ever been depressed? Have you ever been overwhelmed and anxious? You know, I've shared with you for years, I lived in a, with anxiety, with panic, with depression, with suicidal thoughts. It's one of the darkest periods of my life. But God. And this was even after I gave my life to Christ. I mean, before Christ, it was a mess. But this is after coming to Christ. And experience that level. But God. And I remember being so in a place of such darkness, of such depression. I told you, it was almost getting to where I couldn't even leave my house. I would make it to work and it would take me forever to get to work because of the panic that would hit me and I would have to pull off side of the road and work myself up. Cry out to God just to get to work. And then to be able to go to work just to exist. And no one had no clue what was going on. Except Gilda. I imprisoned her. And I've shared this before. Because I would get home and I would go straight to bed. 
No lights, no nothing. Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. And I would get up the next day. And the whole routine would just start. And it went on for years. Just existing. Just crying out, God, take me. Because I don't want to do this anymore. And then one day, it was the darkest day of ever. Ever I've had. Gilda had to work that Saturday. I remember it was, it was a hot July day, I believe. And the darkness was all around me. And I just wanted to give in and just say, God, I just I don't want this anymore. And all of a sudden, there's banging at my door. I'm like, oh. And I'm hiding underneath my sheets. Who on earth is at my door? Why is someone here? I mean, just pounding on my door. And all of a sudden, I hear these voices outside. And they're going around my house. This is when we lived over on the west side. And I realized, oh, that's Joseph, this brother in Christ that I had been doing ministry with. I hadn't seen him for a while. And then I got angry. William, I called Gilda. I said, Gilda, what are we doing? Did you send Joseph here? I had a few words for her. She said, Baby, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, that man is outside our home. He is calling down heaven. And, he, and Joseph, y'all don't know Joseph, but he was a loud prayer. I mean, he was a man of faith. And he was stomping around my house outside. Standing at the bedroom window, I saw him with his hands over and just speaking, praying, interceding for hours. And so finally I broke because God lifted it off of me. And I remember going to the front door and just opening the doors and collapsing into his arms. And he had this other brother there that I didn't know. His name was Orlando. And they came in, and they just held me right at the entry of the door. And I was just sobbing, and they were just praying over me. I said, God, thank you. And I shared that with you all, because listen, there's going to be times in your life, there's going to be times in your Christian walk that everything is going just to push against you. That's why when, you, when someone comes to your heart or mind to pray, don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss it and say, well, Melissa looks okay. I just saw her. I've seen her. She looks okay. No, don't dismiss it. Pray. Because there's a reason why they came to your heart. There's a reason why they're, they, God presented them to you. Pray. I don't know what to pray. You don't. Allow the Holy Spirit to pray. <laughs> Let Him give you the words. Pray. Because our brothers and sisters are under attack. They're under assault. And they may be trying to carry themselves through it. And maybe they don't want to say anything. But God knows. But God knows. And He's called us not only to Himself... But for each other. That's the beauty of the church, you all. 
the church gets a bad rap. But listen, it's not the church. It's the religious in the church. The church in and of herself, she's beautiful. She's the bride of Christ. She belongs to Christ. And as we belong to him, we belong to each other. So be quick to pray. Be quick if, if, if prompted to go. I forgot which city Joseph was in, but the Lord woke him up that night and said, I need you to get to Rob. <laughs> That's Who can make this up? Who can make this up? Oh, but man wrote it. Man, everyone has an excuse. But who can make this up? Who can put all this together that fits perfectly? No man can. Only God. Only God will wake you up and say, get to that person. Pray for this person. Serve these people. Love them. Because I'm going to lift it off of them. Go, you all. Serve. Listen to the psalm here. Psalm 55. It's King David, you all. Listen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me. For I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. This is King David, you all. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. He's experiencing a panic attack. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans. For I see violence and conflict in the city. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders. But the real danger is wickedness within the city. Everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets. It is not an enemy who taunts me. Listen to this. I could bear that. It is my foes. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. Did you hear that? It's not on the outside, it's on the inside. Some of your greatest opposition will not be the lost. It'll be those who claim to be among the fellowship that will attack you, that will talk behind your back, that will just say things that are not true, that will conjure up things and live in this weird reality that's not reality at all. And they were going after David. His companion, his close friend, 
What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive, for evil makes its home with them. Now we heard all that, right? Depression, anxiety, panic. He's overwhelmed. He's anxious, but he doesn't stay there. Remember, when you're reading the Psalms, yes, you're hearing all the circumstances. Yes, you're hearing everything that's before them. But you always hear this one word a lot, but. So when you hear but, look up. But I will call on God, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I call out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me. Though many still oppose me, the opposition hasn't stopped. God, who has ruled forever, ever, will hear and humble them. For my enemies refuse to change their ways. They do not fear God. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words are as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. But you, O God, will send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars will die young, but I am trusting you to save me. (coughs) And that's why when you counsel people, You just don't want to keep them stuck on their problems. You can listen to their problems, but then you need to point them to Jesus. You need to encourage them on how to apply the truth of God's word to get them up from where they're trapped. And it's hard sometimes to counsel people because the first thing they always want to say, I don't know to you, but to me, I don't want another scripture. Don't tell me to pray. Don't tell me to worship. Don't tell me to come to church. Then I always tell them, what do, what do you want me to give you? <laughs> because there's nothing in this world that is going to satisfy you or help you. It may seem like it will for a moment, or it may seem like you just want to stay stuck on the brokenness, but let me remind you of who Christ is. And if you don't want to hear about Christ, then go get your share of brokenness. But when you're ready to hear about Christ, come back, because I've got nothing else to give. Why would you want me to give you temporal advice? Why would you want me to just coddle you and, and, and be like, oh, poor you? I don't want that. <laughs> Listen to what Dave, look how, he, look how he transitions. He knew his God. Yes, he laid bare his soul before us and before God. But... <laughs> He looked up. And don't miss out on verse 22. He gives you insight, the key to this whole passage. Give your burdens to the Lord. 
He will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Give your burdens to the Lord, you all. Sometimes you just got to speak to yourself. All right, Dorian? I encourage that with people. Sometimes you just got to say the word out loud. Yes, it's good to hear me preach or someone else preach or someone else read the word. Okay, that's great. But let me tell you something. It does something for yourself when you can get it out of your mouth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And when you can start announcing it, when you can start pronouncing it, it does something to your soul. It awakens something within you. It reminds you of how good your God is. So why am I laying around? David says in one psalm, he goes, why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. Sometimes you just got to tell yourself that. Just get it out of your mouth. Why am I so overwhelmed? Why am I panicking? God is on the throne. He is for me and he is not against me. Everything that lays before me is temporal. And I'm allowing that to strike fear in me? Oh, the devil is a liar. And before you know it, you can preach yourself happy. And you can get out and you can go about your day with your head up, with your shoulders back, and you can become productive instead of remaining enslaved to lies, to guilt, to shame. Depression is real. And we don't make light of it. Especially in today's world, There's so many people who are suffering silently with anxiety, with panic, and depression. Because if I say anything, what's people going to think? No, speak, you all. The Bible is very clear. To expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Be transparent on what you're going through and what you're facing. Stop showing up for church or, or coming to church or being around Christians acting like everything's okay when it's not okay. You need to be transparent. That's how you maintain freedom. First with God and then with man. (laughs) If man rejects you because you're transparent, so be it. God will never reject you. So that's why you have to keep it in the proper order. Don't be transparent here first and then make him last. Because if you're searching for hope here, these people can fail you. (laughs) But God never will. Go to Proverbs 11, verse 7 is where we're ending. One nugget of wisdom for you today. Proverbs 11, verse 7. When the wicked die, their hopes die with them. For they rely on their own feeble strength. There you go. That's your nugget of wisdom for today. When the wicked die, their hopes die with them. For they rely on their own feeble strength. Those who are apart from Christ, their hope is in that which is temporal. That's why it dies with them. They're so consumed with the temporal relationships, with the temporal possessions, and they cling to them. But all that's dying with them. That's what happens to the wicked. But those who are right with Christ, those who are in Christ, those who have received Christ, oh, that hope in Christ never dies. 
and we recognize that our strength is not our own. It's all Christ. It's all Him doing it in and through us. And that's why I challenge you all. No one knows the hearts of people sitting here today, but God does. And if you're not right with God, then I just implore you to get right before Him. Seek Him, the Bible says, and you will find Him if you seek Him with your whole heart. The Bible says to draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. And when you're in the presence of God, remember, He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And we just don't treat Him like He's man, like He's, he's common. <clears throat> That's another lie that the enemy has introduced to the church. That we make Him as common as man is. But God isn't common. He's holy. He's holy. And He says to His people... Be holy as I am holy. Live set apart as unto me. So if you've never accepted him as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would. To have a a strong confession, and I mean a bold confession, a strong belief that he rose from the dead (coughs) and that he is the Son of God. It's as simple as that. That you recognize that you're a sinner. That you recognize that you are in rebellion towards God. And you say, but God, I don't want to remain. And in and of myself, I can't fix this. But God, you came for me. And you willingly just lay your life down. You accept this free gift of salvation. And then you begin this new life. You're born again in that instant. And now you're learning. You're moving. And you find yourself here today who may at one time accepted him, but like the prodigal, you ran out and and just splurged on your inheritance, living wildly and however you want. That's not where you belong. (laughs) You need to remember what it's like to be in the Father's house and get up and go back. And he is faithful to run towards you to restore you. And if you are saved and you are following Christ, then keep allowing that fan to flame the fire within you. Because there's work to be done. So I want to close this in this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer. Expecting something. 
Fear I ever had, just know.